Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to our podcast. I'm W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, available at Amazon and also in audio format, volumes one through six at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. Well, we have a great show in store for you today, and I'm going to bring my brother, Kevin, KJ Sheehan, right in here. Kev, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? All right. You know, I'm a little peeved, Kev. Did you get out fishing today? Well, I did get out fishing, but let me tell you something. Uh, COVID's not even, not only killing people, it's killing my fishing. Oh no. Yeah. And you know, what happened? All the fish were wearing masks yeah. and they couldn't bite the hook. They couldn't bite the hook with the mess <laughs> on. Now, you know, uh, I always fish during the week and I do that intentionally because through the years, the, the area I fish, uh, on the weekend can be high traffic. Yeah. And, uh, but now, uh, it, it it was like, you know, uh, a holiday today, and it's uh, been that yeah. way the past couple of times I've gone out during the week, but today was just excessive with the people running around and the big boats, and and uh, I, I gave it about 90 minutes. We caught, uh, I think, four bass and about 15 or 20 sea robins, and I said to my friend Andy, I said, Andy, I'm done, man. Uh, I'm getting a stiff neck just looking over my shoulder for the next boat coming. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really. Uh, it was like Rodney Dangerfield from Caddyshack. <laughs> I guess so. I, I never <laughs> saw Caddyshack, so I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and just so the listeners know, uh, I'm, I'm floating around in a 15-foot Carolina skiff with a 20 Merc four-stroke on it. So it's a little boat. Uh, not much power, uh, but it's ideal to get in and out quick and to drift, which is what I do. I drift in this couple of areas where I fish. And aside from a couple of numbskulls that don't have any uh, 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 etiquette on the water or, frankly, some of them don't even know what they're doing, right. uh, generally I have a pretty good time of it, and I just have to watch myself. But today was just like... Uh, like nothing else. And I said, you know what? I'm not having fun here. This is like sitting in uh, rush hour traffic to me, you know? Yeah, that's that's not uh, conducive to hunting striped bass. No, no. And all the boat traffic, too. I mean, it had to be causing an enormous disturbance on uh, the fish under the surface, you know? Yeah. 
So, I was at the other end of the spectrum. Last night I was standing in the surf here in North Carolina, surf fishing, and caught like 10 little fish, but no uh, no predators were out. The tide wasn't really good. It was super low, but it was good to be out there under the moon uh, and Jupiter and Saturn are up in the sky pretty close together. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've been looking at Jupiter and Saturn for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, no, that's awesome. You know, uh, there's nothing like going down by the ocean shore and uh, just smelling the salt and just soaking in the sky, you know? Oh, yeah. Even if you don't catch any fish, it's just beautiful to be out there. Yeah, that's it. I mean, and uh, as a matter of fact, I got to go down and uh, get a night fishing permit for uh, uh, Smith's Point. Yep. And uh, I like to dunk down there after the crowds go. And uh, it's actually a beautiful spot to be, and there's some uh, can be some fairly hungry fish around there as well. Yep, cool. But uh, I don't know. I think if people knew what was on the bottom over there, they wouldn't be so quick to jump in the water. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true out here too. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of freaking sharks over there, man. Oh yeah. But uh, you know, people say, "Well, I don't hear any about anybody getting bit by one." Yeah, well, I just don't want to be number one. well and most of the sharks aren't really interested in people you know a lot of the bites they say are accidental Uh um but some of them are very interested in biting anyone (laughs) and anything let me tell you something if i was a shark i'd be biting everybody (laughs) (laughs) so what do you got today bro well speaking of the ocean you know Normally, we're roaming around in the forest, right, in uh, uncharted forest. Tonight, though, uh, we're going to go out into the unknown oceans. Uh Speaking of sharks, we're going to look at something called the Black Demon. Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, Are there any black demons in the water in North Carolina? No, thankfully. (laughs) Not that I know of. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, So what is this black demon? So the black demon or black demon shark is an enormous black shark that's often seen in uh, in Mexico's Baja California Peninsula. Wow. So that's uh, way down south in uh, uh, Southern California. Exactly. So it's in uh, in the body of water that's between the West Coast of Mexico and or the west coast of continental Mexico and the east coast of the Baja Peninsula that comes down off of California into Mexico. Okay. And yeah. uh, am I, is that, so that's like an inland body of water, so to speak? Yeah, but it, co- it hooks up to the ocean. Right. So kind of like a- the Long Island Sound. I got you. And, yeah. and just outside of there, though, is that... Uh, that uh, white shark area, uh, Catalina Island. Yeah, that's off of California, so a little further north. Oh, north. And out the, in the okay. Pacific. But there's a lot of white sharks um, in this body of water, the Sea of Cortez. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, a lot of people go down there. You know, when, when we're coming up on August eventually, and we'll have uh, Shark Week. Absolutely. You'll see, like, a lot of the Shark Week things. Take place there. Yeah. 
the investigations. Yeah, and part of it is the, the the ecosystem there in the Sea of Cortez is quite amazing. You know, it's supposed to be extremely diverse and quite unique in the oceans. And although there's areas that you can wade across, you know, close to the land, it gets up to about 10,000 feet deep. Wow. Yeah. Wooey. Exactly. Yeah, Super you know, I was, uh, you know, Kev, I'm always watching all of this Nova and all of these uh, History Channel and all this jazz. Uh, there was some guys diving the other day and a little bell. I call it a bell, but what are they now? Submersible? Uh, well, yeah, a little, little sub. sub, right? Yeah, a little sub. But the guy was talking about uh, the pressures exerted on these things. Right. And he said it was one atmosphere every 30 feet you go down. Mm. So uh, an atmosphere is what? like uh, I think that's what you measure at, like, the surface. So, like, you and I live in one atmosphere, I think. So 30 feet down would be twice that pressure. Right. So one atmosphere is the pressure exerted on us basically keeping us on the, our feet. Yeah, at the surface, yeah, at the surface of the earth. That's that's my yeah. take on it. Yeah. So I thought that was just amazing, you know, every 30 feet you increase one atmosphere. Oh, well, you, you know, you you've swam to the bottom of like some of these deep built-in pools, right? I mean, that even that 30 feet sounds off a little bit because I know when I swim down like 12 feet, it's like, whoa. You know, you feel the pressure on you. Yeah, just 12 feet. Yeah, on your ears and everything. Yeah, so uh, it just exponentially, if you just do the math, you can see how quickly uh, you could get smashed, you know? Yep. But uh, So go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's okay. So this black demon, we're going to talk about one of the recent sightings uh, by a boat captain, but it's said to be, Bill, get this, 20 to 60 feet long. And weigh anywhere between uh, 50,000 and 100,000 pounds. So way bigger than a great That's a big jump, though, between 20 and 60. Uh, 50 and, uh, yeah, 20 and 60 feet, right. But you figure the biggest great white is about 20 feet long. And that's only a couple of them are that big. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy, man. And at 60, you know, it's, geez, what, like a school bus, right? Holy smoke. Yeah. You know what it sounds like to me? I mean, it sounds like uh, that uh, prehistoric uh, Meg. Yeah, Megalodon. Yeah. Megalodon, yeah. Well, and some people think it may be Megalodon or uh-huh. some new species that hasn't been discovered yet. Okay. You know, and, you know, you think about it, how much of the ocean is out there? That's undiscovered, right? You know, gotcha. I mean, it's between, they say between 80 and 95% of the ocean is unexplored. Yeah, and, and those, and num- those says numbers. that, right? The, the National Oceanic folks are, are quoting that stat. Yeah, and to me, that's skewed because, you know, two thirds of the planet is water. Right. And here we are talking, you know, over off the Sea of Cortez or around the Sea of Cortez, 10,000 feet? Yeah. I mean, come on, man. There's a lot of freaking water on this planet. I, I don't even know where the number comes from of how much has been explored. Because when you're exploring, you're just 
Uh, what's the exploration? Floating around with a camera that sees uh, 20 feet around you? Yeah, and, you know, you've seen, talking about Shark Week, they were out in the Sea of Cortez a while back where, I don't know if you saw that episode where they had, like, that torpedo-like camera. And okay. uh, the great white hit it from below. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like it hits the seal. So this thing's just cruising along, you know, in the green, murky water, and then, bam, you know. Yeah. Gets hit by a small train. Wow. <laughs> and so, this well, thing would be a large train. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A large train. Yeah. Yeah. So and, where, where, where has this thing been seen? Uh, right there in the Sea of Cortez multiple times. You know, it's kind of like a legend. But then this guy in 2008 is fisherman named Eric Mack. He was out on his ship, uh, a sport fishing vessel, big one, no, mm-hmm. and he said something ran into him. Wow. And here he is, you know, he's an experienced sport fisherman, licensed captain, and it ran into him a few times. Oh, my God. And then he sees the tail fin of this thing swimming along horizontal with the surface. He sees a dorsal and a tail fin, and the tail fin sticks up five feet out of the water. Oh man! Exactly. I mean, five feet. It it had to be. If there's five feet above, there's five feet below, and probably a more. big chunk of body in between. Yeah, even more. Right. Oh my God! Huge. And this thing's banging into his boat. Apparently, yeah. Holy smoke! And that's you know some folks think this is uh, you know an explanation is a, a basking shark or whale shark because they do live out there in the Sea of Cortez. You know these are those massive kind of they have the they're black but they all have the white spots on them. Yeah, you know you've seen them. I've seen them uh, in real life. They have some down in the Atlanta Aquarium. If any of our listeners ever get down to Atlanta. Uh, last time I was there, they had like four of them, monsters in this gigantic uh, indoor tank. Right. Pretty cool to see them float by. But they're super gentle. You know, they don't have teeth. They eat plankton, you know, and they definitely don't slam into boats and stuff like that. Well, listen, uh, you know, I got a pretty good feeling. I mean, I know what I know about fishing and what I see and right. my cronies I get a pretty good feeling that this guy who had a big sport fisherman, a captain's license, has a pretty good idea what he's seeing in the yeah. water. Yeah, he knows when something's really strange. Yeah, you know? yeah. He's not misidentifying a basking shark, I guarantee you that. No, and then one of the things about this thing and what gives it its name, its name too, the black demon, uh, other than the demon part, is uh, it's black with a white bottom, whereas like great whites... Great whites are light gray on top with a white bottom. Right. So this right. thing is like jet black. And right. apparently it has these black eyes as well. And then white on the bottom, almost like, you know, the black and white color scheme of like an orca whale. Yeah. yeah. But not to be mistaken for an orca. I mean, I've, I've seen some orcas in the, in the ocean and you're not going to mistake them for anything but an orca. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. They are completely unique unto themselves. Exactly. And again, referencing a what I probably believe was an experienced charter fishing captain. He knows he knows what an orca is. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, especially and then, you know the other thing out there in the Sea of Cortez, they have found like whales that are like ripped, like the whole tail is ripped off of a whale. 
like something this big, bit it. Like just a clean bite off and the whole tail is gone. Like me biting a short rib. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I could go for a short rib right now. (laughs) It's that time of the day. Yeah, Yeah, anytime's the time of the day for ribs, man. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, getting back to the Meg or Megalodon, you know, some folks are like, well, you know, maybe it's a Megalodon. But Megalodon... There's some controversy around that because they're supposed to have gone extinct about 1.5 or 2 million years ago. So a long time ago. Right, right. However, in 1875, not that long ago, right, relatively speaking, there was a British survey ship that was out doing dredging and uh, surveying out near the island of Tahiti in the Pacific, and they brought up a bunch of uh, megalodon teeth, which is not that rare to find the teeth. But they brought some up, and they dated them, and they were only about 10,000 years old. So, you know, if they dug them up in 1875 and they were 10,000 years old, well, okay, then there was a megalodon swimming around there, Tahiti, much, much more recently than two million years ago. Yeah, and uh, you know something, I have a, I have personally have a big problem with aquatic extinct, extinction. Right. Because you could say what you want, and I have my own opinions about, you know, what happened to the dinosaurs and X, Y, and Z. But when you talk about the oceans and extinction ocean-wide of something, I really find that hard to believe that everything of any species just blinks out uh, over a period of time in the ocean. Oh, I'm completely with you. So it's pretty interesting, too. Like, there is a group of... uh researchers that study the megalodon and they're actually saying that maybe it didn't go extinct but get this maybe it just went much deeper down in the ocean Hmm, you know so that it's still out there but it lives much further down in the ocean and doesn't come up to the surface and it's kind of interesting to support this theory a bit is that you know what they find is that the creatures some of the creatures down much deeper in the ocean, like giant squid and stuff like that, right. they're much larger than the creatures that are closer to the surface, which is kind of the opposite of what you'd think, you know, getting into what we were talking about with uh, the increase in pressure. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, you know, of course we know a shark does not have to surface like a porpoise to breathe. No. They nope. could just stay indefinitely and maybe once in a blue moon, uh, somebody exits the area where they feed predominantly, if that is true, in the depths, and somebody sees a dorsal fin. Exactly. I like, mean, it's it's interesting. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but probably 10 years ago, we were out in Hawaii, and we went on this uh, whale-watching trip, right? You know, taking the kids. and But it was pretty cool. Like, we had researched it a lot to find someone who was a real scientist, you know, said so that it really would be interesting, and less of a, uh, you know, just a tourist trap, right? Right. But- and we went out, out of uh, Kona on the big island of Hawaii. And, you know, you can see the land. We're not that far out. And we were following this uh, uh, school or pod, I guess, of pilot whales. 
So these are kind of, they look like beluga, <laughs> beluga whales, but they're black in color or dark in color. Mm-hmm. And apparently they dive down together um, and then using their sonar, they hunt for squid. But they go down about 5,000 feet. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So they sit there at the surface and almost like swimmers, human swimmers, that are getting ready to do a big uh, uh, underwater swim, they're they're sitting still together, and you can get up pretty close to them with the small boat we were on, and you hear them breathing, like panting. And then they grab their breath, and they go down. And they're gone, you know, for, I don't know what it was, five minutes or so. Wow. And then they come up after they get the squid, and they're like, you know, panting like like you would be if you went swimming down that far holding your breath and it came up so that was super cool and then the captain is like we're up next to them and they're resting getting their breath for another dive and he said what's really interesting is um they have a symbiotic relationship with uh, oceanic white tip sharks you know which are one of the fiercest uh, man-eating sharks in the ocean, yeah. and we don't hear about a lot of de- deaths from the oceanic white tips because they're out in the deep water. Uh, but if you remember that story about the Indianapolis ship in World War II, right? That was oceanic white tips, they believe, that ate all those sailors. Wow! So we're sitting there on this boat, and the captain says, and this was super creepy, by the way. He's like, "Look down below the whales." And uh, we're looking, and he's like, you see the tips, the white tips? And and they're like, yeah. And then you could see the outline, and it was like a bunch of like 12-foot oceanic white tips. Wow. That were sitting right under the whales, because they don't have to come up and breathe, but they follow the whales down, because they can't find a squid like the whales can. And if so, and the sharks dive down with them, what to get what's left over after they, that, you know, just uh, once they're in the neighborhood of the squid, they can get them. But the whales find the neighborhood. Wow! But isn't that cool? Like you know, and just diving down that deep. And if the captain, even though we were sitting there, and there was probably ten of these sharks underneath a dozen of these pilot whales, if the captain didn't tell us, we wouldn't have seen them. Yeah, yeah. And we were right over them. Yeah, it's it's interesting too that uh uh you know when we talk about other things uh on the planet that were supposedly around when the dinosaurs were here uh we've got uh like crocodiles and alligators. Yeah. And uh you know if you look at some of the uh the uh shows out on them, I mean these things can survive in basically what I would call sewer water. Uh, in some of these countries like uh, India, where this murky, fouled-up river water is running around, uh, and they survive. Yeah. Uh, and if it wasn't for the fact that they bask in the sun and come in the shallows and everything else, uh, you wouldn't know they were there. And I'm not making a point of knowing they're there or not there, but that of survival over millions of years. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. So, uh yeah, so then, you know, so this was, we talked about Eric Mack, you know, seeing this thing. Well, he contacts um, the, the TV series Monster Quest. And in 2009, they sent a film crew out to the Sea of Cortez to look for these, you know, look for this black demon. Now, they didn't find anything. The episode was called Mega Jaws. Um, I don't remember seeing that one, so I got to look it up and see if I can stream it online. Okay. Um, 
but pretty cool. So they took it seriously enough to go out, or took Eric Mack seriously enough to send a crew out there to, to see a Cortez to look for it. I'd like to see that show myself. If you dig it up, let me know. Yeah, I will. That's freaking remarkable. And then any of our listeners out there, if you know anything about the Black Demon, uh, or if you've run into Megalodon, let us know. Yeah. I, I don't think too many people are going to run into him and talk about it. Did you ever <laughs> see that movie, Bill, recently uh, called The Meg? I did about- I did see that, and there was a lot of creepy stuff in there. Uh, and it had me going for a while that it was like kind of factual. And then I realized that it was going uh, the other way towards the end, you know? Yeah, but it was actually pretty good. It was entertaining. Yeah, no, it was very good. And yeah, like I went to it on a, a lark with my daughter, and uh, I was like, that was actually pretty pretty fun, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you're talking about the movie the movie that was in the theaters? Yeah, the giant, giant uh, shark. No. no, I didn't see that. Yeah. I saw something on the Megalodon that was done on uh, Made for TV. Oh, I've seen that one, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just kind of neat, well done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, had you running along like uh, Jaws, the movie Jaws did for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then I said to myself, ah, this is, uh, uh, this is fun. But I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. It, it was well done, you know? Yeah, if you get to see the movie, The Mag, it was actually pretty good. Like, I, I thought it would be kind of terrible, but it was pretty good. Wow, that's crazy, man. Yeah. Well, well done, man. That was a good... Uh, the Black Demon. The Black Demon, or sometimes uh, they refer to it in Spanish because it's down there in Mexico. El, uh, let's see, Demonio Negro. Uh, Demonio Negro. Demonio Negro. <laughs> so watch out don't, for him. <laughs> don't forget I'm married to a Spanish lady. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, i tell you something. Uh, from Sharks... To Bigfoot. And by the way, I'm wearing my Bigfoot socks today. Oh. That's right. Are they I a little broke... loose on you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they were a gift. And uh, every once in a while, I break them out just to put them on. They feel good, and I like looking at all the little Bigfoots on them. Now, was it like a gifting where, like, you left an apple in the forest and Bigfoot left you socks? (laughs) No, actually, uh, I told him, I won't pull the trigger if you give me your socks. Ah, (laughs) Very good. (laughs) No, no, this this story was brought to my attention by actually a fellow named Bill. Uh, And really, from, from this point forward, what I'll be reading uh, will be Bill and his hiking partner, Rex, uh, sharing the events that they experienced during their night hike. So batten down the hatches because it's about to get a little rough. Rex and I had done this hike numerous times during different months of the year each providing us with a different set of challenges, in particular during the winter. The snow near the summit can be waist-deep. Regardless of that, during any winter or even late spring hike, you will most definitely need walking poles and spikes. It is an extremely difficult hike in anyone's book, 
and I am sure many people turn back after having begun it. The left side of this trail can be quite treacherous, presenting you with many switchbacks and some very steep inclines where you are more mountain climbing than hiking. From Hoodsport, you head west nine miles on Lake Cushman Road until you reach Forest Service Road number 24. You then turn left and proceed three miles until you see the trailhead sign on your right. There are several things that I will caution your readers about during this hike. You are virtually enclosed in the forest the entire time, and on many occasions after you reach the summit, you find that you are encased in fog, obscuring all of your views. From the top, you can see Mounts Rainier, Adams, and St. Helens. And further off in the distance, you are looking at the Olympics. Below you is Lake Cushman, which is breathtaking in and of itself. And by the way, they were on the Mount Rose Trail. There are also times of the year when the Yellow Jackets are swarming. There are so many of them that you can loudly hear them as you are approaching, and they will attack you. Now that I have thoroughly discouraged you, let me say that when things and conditions go right, this hike is one for the books. Well worth the effort. Although it is touted to be some 5.5 miles in length, on my GPS I have clocked it at more or less seven and a half miles. I would also advise anyone to bring twice as much water as they think they will need, and if you have sore feet, bring Band-Aids as well. The last time that Billy and I were in there, this is Rex speaking, we hiked up on a cougar that was less than 10 feet from the trail, and it took off like a rocket. This time around, we were planning to do our second night hike. There are absolutely no words to describe sitting at the summit at 4 a.m. under the canopy of the night sky. I actually pity humanity for not experiencing such beauty in their lifetime. Now we're back to Bill. Rex and I were getting set to go, and it was about 1.15 a.m. when we began the hike. It was late July of 2010, and the night was pristine, to say the least. Being well familiar with this trail, we had made it to the summit in about two and a half hours. And I must warn you that the hike begins at about 700 feet of elevation, and at the peak, you are at 4,300 feet. I only say that because this hike is steep and arduous the entire time that you are in it. Having achieved the summit, we laid back on our packs, enveloped by the night sky, and as I was laying there, I felt as though the sky was drawing me into itself, and I was thinking that I was at one with the universe. Mere words cannot describe what we were feeling at the time. After about 90 minutes or so, we began our descent down the right-hand side of the mount. This side is somewhat easier than the left, and of course we were now going downhill as well. 
I must say that for those of you who are not night owls, your eyes actually get quite accustomed to the dark and you can see reasonably well, all things considered. On this trail, you are literally in the trees the entire time, with only a few occasional breaks overlooking the slopes and some well-dispersed living and dead timber. It was during one of these breaks that I was certain I had seen something large and dark move quickly across a small clearing on the slope. The area it had moved across was maybe 30 or 40 feet away, tops, and it was very tall and large. We conversed briefly, kicking it around as to what it could have been, and continued on our hike. A few minutes later, both of us heard what was clearly some rocks and debris tumbling down the same slope to our right. Now understand me, please. When you are in these conditions hiking in the dark, your senses are most certainly heightened, and we began to feel like we were being stalked and or watched, and we were far from reaching the bottom. The difficulty became keeping our focus on the trail and our footing in the dark, while still being acutely aware that something was definitely flanking our movements on the slope. We kept walking, all the while still hearing noises which were becoming increasingly unnerving to the two of us. At this point in time, we were not keeping silent and were actually shouting things like, Go away! To scare off whatever this was. We had just passed through a switchback that opened up into about a 150-foot somewhat straight run of trail ahead of us. And... And when we did, we both came to a sudden halt. Ahead of us, maybe 75 feet away, was a glaring pair of bright red eyes peering directly at us in the darkness. These eyes were set very widely apart and were more than 10 feet from the ground. In the moment, I felt that they were almost having a hypnotic effect on me but I tried to focus on the rest of the image that was before us. Even in the darkness, I could, make a, I could make out a clear outline of something of enormous stature that was rocking from side to side. As we were standing there looking at these eyes, Billy was standing slightly behind me on the trail. He bent down to grab a large rock and hurled it at this thing, hitting it squarely as he shouted, Get the hell out of here! Well, when I tell you that all hell broke loose, that would be an understatement. This thing let out a screaming roar that words cannot describe. I thought it would knock us down, and it was deafening to our ears. The two of us turned simultaneously to run back up the trail. I don't think we were 30 feet into our retreat when I heard Rex let out a scream. I turned, and Rex was now on his back, laying on the ground, groaning, as this thing, which I now saw was a beast, was standing over him, screaming with its mouth wide open and contorting its upper body. 
I was now maybe 10 feet away from an enormous roaring Bigfoot standing over the top of my best friend. In the heat of the moment, I guess I did what anyone would have done. I took one of my walking sticks, which were nothing more than winter ski poles with the rings removed, and I flung it as best as I could, sidearm like a whirling sword. God must have been with us that day because it hit him squarely in the face. I believe it hit him in the eye. I say that because the beast immediately put both of its hands to its face and started screaming, staggering around on the trail. I now had Rex on the ground reeling in pain and a Bigfoot staggering around screaming. I don't think it was 10 seconds later that the Bigfoot, while holding its hands to its face, lost its footing on the edge of the trail and fell off the side, tumbling down the slope. I knew I had to move and move quickly, so I ran to Rex. As I tried to grab him, he said that his shoulder was broken. He couldn't move his arm, and he was in obvious pain. I told him, Brother, you have to get up, or this thing will kill us. We have to move and move now. I pulled his pack off, got him to his feet, and we started going down the hill. Rex was writhing in pain, but he was moving, and this Bigfoot was screaming and howling on the side of the slope behind us now. I think a combination of adrenaline and fear had taken over Rex because he was now moving quickly with my help. For some 15 minutes, we could still hear this beast groaning and screaming behind us, and in a moment, I could only think about David slaying Goliath in the biblical narrative with one smooth stone. Eventually, the sounds of the beast were gone, and we covered a considerable distance. We reached a point where we could see that the sun was beginning to rise, and all I could think of was that we were now safe. It's funny now, but in my mind, I actually was thinking of Dracula not being able to stand sunlight, and I was thinking the same thing about this Bigfoot. All that Billy has been telling you is exactly as it happened. We were now nearing the trailhead and the safety of our vehicle. When we finally got to the car, another vehicle was pulling over to begin the day's hike, and when they saw us and the condition that I was in, they asked us what happened. I needed medical attention, so we wasted no time. We told them we had been attacked by a Bigfoot that was still up there somewhere and that we had hit him in the face with a ski pole and ran. Their jaws dropped. We jumped in the car and took off, and we could see them doing the same. When we made it to the hospital, the doctor asked us what happened, and you can imagine what that led to. After some x-rays were taken... We found that Rex had a fractured clavicle, which, although it was quite painful, it was not as bad as it could have been. And after a sling was applied, he was feeling a lot better. I then asked these guys to fill in any of the details surrounding the event, and this is what they had to say to me. Listen up. 
As you already know, this all happened quite a few years ago, but when we were in the hospital, Rex told me that as soon as we had started the attempt to run back up the trail, this creature had grabbed his backpack, slamming him to the rocky ground on his back. He knew immediately that something had broken. Rex said his body was shaking as this thing stood over him, roaring down at him. This was obviously retribution for being hit with the rock. And who knows, it may have killed both of us right then and there. Even in the darkness, when we were finally all in close quarters, I could see the immensity of this beast. I thought I would collapse from fear alone right on the spot. But something welled up within me, and I hurled the ski pole. I guess it was an all or nothing fight-or-flight response. And to be honest with you, I believe there was some divine intervention working for me with the flight of that ski pole that night. Because I firmly believe the pointed end went right into its eye. The way this thing was staggering and screaming, falling off the side of the slope, he had to have had his eye knocked out. When I was on the ground, I looked up. seeing this thing leaning over me. I cannot tell you how frightened I was. Bill saved our lives that night, I am sure. And if it wasn't for his quick thinking and reaction, I believe it would have killed us both or maimed us at the very least. I was 15 feet away from it when I let the pole fly, and it had to have been 12 feet tall and as wide as a barn door. The sound of its roar actually made the skin on my face vibrate. It had to have weighed well over a thousand pounds or more, and that may well be an understatement. We've never gone back there again and wonder every day about those who do. Whoa. What do you think? That's one of the best accounts I've heard, Bill. That is freaking nasty, nasty business. And Washington State, right? And these guys were really, you know, a bit of uh, mountain climbers, not just a casual hiker, right? No, in fact, uh, uh, you know, in doing interviews like this, you get a lot of details, you know. Uh, it's the same as talking to the hunters or the DEC guys or everybody else. I mean, let me tell you something, man. You got to be one rugged bugger uh, to get along and do what some of these people do, you know. And these two guys were no exception to the rule. Uh, You know, they're describing the conditions uh, of going up this trail numerous times. And who knows what other trails they go up. And it's definitely, uh, to get to the top is the great part of it on a beautiful night. But getting there is part of the fun to them, you know. Sure, sure. So, but I mean, night climbing—you got to be pretty experienced to do that. Yeah, and uh, you know, they knew this trail. I think they said they had done it four or five times. Yeah, yeah. Also, pretty interesting. You know, we talk about and we've 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 put on the website some of those uh, howls that have been recorded. But I thought his description of saying, you know, when it screamed or maybe howled. The skin on his face vibrated. Well, Kev, just think of that one recording you played a couple of months yeah, ago. 
Yeah. Now, we have no idea how far away that thing was when they were standing there recording it. But I picture that thing standing in front of me. Oh, yeah. I mean, it sounded like it was far away in the recording. Yeah. But it was loud. But, yeah, like, I know where you're going. If it was, what did he say, 10 or 15 feet away? 15 feet. Holy cow. Now, can you remember the old cartoons when somebody would let out a howl and a guy's hair would go (laughs) flying out straight behind him? You know, and you'd see the jaws open up and the lips flapping and all of that stuff. Yeah. That's what this reminds me of. But what about these bright red eyes? Holy cow. There you go again with the illuminated eyeballs. Again, jeez. You know, and here you have an up-close-and-personal description. Now, I have another account where a body wasn't found, but a footprint was, and the aluminum backpack was uh, busted up. Now, I don't know if it happened in the same way that these two guys did. You know, dead men tell no tales. But I do have an account of a couple of guys that ran across a uh, mangled backpack with a Bigfoot track near where it was. Yeah, I remember that one, yeah. So, uh, you know, but this thing nailed him from the back and just dumped him, Mm. uh, breaking his clavicle probably with the strap from the pack. Uh, You know, a slam dunk move and then was just like, you hit me with a rock! Ah! (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, really. But my only question is, he says, right, I think he said, I did what anyone else would do when his friend was in trouble, and he threw the ski pole at the thing's head. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I might have run. <laughs> yeah, but you know something, Kev? Where are you going to run? I know. I, I know. I'm just saying, you run up the trail, steep slope off the side that this thing oh, eventually yeah, yeah. tumbled down. Uh and where you go, and he gets rid of him, and then he comes running after you. He's still going to be there when you come back down. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, uh, but anyways, I mean, look, you're not going to leave your friend there, you know. No, I don't. He I know. tried to fight him off, and in this case. I would wish that I had something more than a ski pole to throw at Well, him. why do I always say, always carry more gun <laughs> than you think you're going to need? I throw uh, a couple of pounds of lead yeah, over there. There you go. <laughs> at near at near supersonic speed. <laughs> well, look, if he lets one ski pole fly, he's still got another one to use as a freaking one of the three musketeers. <laughs> <laughs> I can see him putting his arm behind his back and, you know, doing those parry thrusts on the trail. I'm like, on guard. On guard, you bastard. <laughs> Stand clear of my blade. My blade will slice you. Come over here, you smelly red-eyed ape. <laughs> I tell you, though, uh, that story, uh, that account just uh, creeps me out. It's a great account, Bill. That's fantastic. Yeah, because you're, you're out there in the dark, and yeah, I know your eyes get used to the dark, and maybe there was some moonlight that night. Uh, you're looking through the holes in the trees on the slope, seeing the slope go down. And then you see something dart across, you know, in the opening, and then you... Oh, no doubt about it, especially in the woods. I mean, like I was just saying, I was out on the beach last night till about 1 o'clock in the morning. It was dark, but the moon was out. But once your eyes adjust, I mean, you could see great. And now it's not the same when you're in a forest, right? right? You know, because there's really no source of light when you're under the tree canopy. 
Um, but holy cow, yeah, you you do adjust. And could you imagine seeing a ten foot tall shadow like crank by and hearing the ground oh, move man. underneath yeah, it? No, just, oh. just and he no. described it. Here we go again, as wide as a barn door. Exactly, yeah. and he said almost a thousand pounds or, or right? more. And he said it might be an understatement. So you know, I mean, well, people are, people are using things that they know, and that's why I go when I talk about the description given uh, in a lot of different accounts. People are trying to describe something that is off the charts in their lives. Absolutely, yeah. There's nothing to compare right. it to a barn door. All right, now yeah. I don't have a barn, but I have a pretty good idea the size of a barn door. And it's big. And uh, you could probably put three or four big human beings on a barn door. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, if you pinned them up like Vlad, Vlad the Impaler, you'd probably get four <laughs> bodies on a barn door. <laughs> I also... Li- All right, let's, let's not do that, though. <laughs> I also like the fact that he was... Uh, he had mentioned Dracula when the sun yeah, was rising. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was kind of... Uh, Maybe he's a listener. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> now he is, probably. Yeah, now he is. He's a listener. Uh, but that's it, man. That's the that's the account. Very cool. I, I, like I said, that's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Just super creepy. Yeah, yeah. So, All right. We got some great listener mail, Bill. Yep. And we're going to go out west in the United States to Lorraine in Tucson. Okay. And she says, love your show and camaraderie. We sighted something on horseback in the hill country some years back. Okay. It was tall and black lumbering along in the foothills at about a thousand yards out. Believe it or not, our horses actually became aware of it and reacted. Not much other than that to report. Be well. Uh, and w- where was this, did she say? In the hill country of Arizona. So she's in Tucson, so probably the southern part of Arizona, I would guess. Okay, you know, around horseback riding. Yeah, uh, pretty rural down there, you know. Yeah, interesting, she's estimating, you know, a thousand yards. I mean, that's a pretty good... And, and that fact that the horses reacted... Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, she didn't say they bucked us off or anything, you know, but... No, but, you know, you always hear, right, that the animals, a lot of animals, not all animals, have, like, a keen awareness, especially if it's, uh, like, an apex predator that's nearby. Right, right, right. You know, like a hairy man. Yeah, like a hairy man. (laughs) Jeez. Like a 10-footer as big as a barn door. You know, obviously, we don't know what animals think or if they think about much at all, you know, but... You got to wonder uh, what a creature thinks, some other creature thinks when it turns and sees something like that. Yeah. Is it just like, you know, hey, let's get out of here? You know, or is it fear or do they not care at all? What are the horses thinking, you know? Like maybe. Yeah, I think they're they're getting nervous and agitated, you know, yeah. that it's something they don't know what it is. Right. And it's big. You know, it's not like it's a bug flying by. Right, and they'd prefer not to keep walking towards it. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Probably today's not the... Let me check. No, that's not on the agenda today. Let's go back. I don't see anything about learning about apex predators firsthand. Let's stop. Yeah, let's stop here. Oh, my goodness. 
That is awesome, though, that she wrote in. Yeah, it's a good letter. Thank you, Lorraine. Yeah, awesome. And she says, not much other than that to report. That's great. You know, even if you just have that, send us a note. Let us know. Yeah. I mean, just that. Like, how many times have I said, what's terror? What's terror, <laughs> uh, uh, terrible about uh, Bigfoot sighting? Just seeing one on the shoulder is terrible to me. Absolutely. Terrifying, rather. I don't know what terrible was. Is that like beautiful? That's like Muggs McGinnis on the Bowery Boys. <laughs> He'd say, yeah, we're going to put a terrible uh, beating on him. Uh, exit uh, 56. And then everybody would start swinging. <laughs> no matter what number, no matter what he said or how stupid it was or what number he put on it, uh, it always meant jump on him and start swinging. Just start swinging. <laughs> All right. Now you got to pay attention to this one. We're gonna. This comes in from Tex, but he's in Minnesota. Okay. <laughs> so Tex in Minnesota, he writes, "Fantastic stuff, you fellas are laying down." Haven't seen much myself, but some fellas I've known lay claims to having seen these critters. Anything's possible on God's green earth, I suppose. Stay safe, my friends. Wow. So he sounds like he's from Texas. Yeah, and you know, uh, interesting to note that, hey, look, I haven't seen anything, but I know others who have. Exactly. So, and this is, you know, this is that the willingness of people to confide in certain individuals in their life and nobody else. Right. You know, and we know how many people have seen something and they don't talk about it for some reason, you know, for 10 or more years until something else, you know, triggers the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And usually another individual, in my opinion, it's usually another individual who breaches subject uh, or the subject and then they're willing to say, well, you know, agree. Agreed. As a matter of fact, you know, I had an experience I saw like that, you know, like that. Yeah. Uh, so, well, cool. yeah, no, well, we're going to jump into plane now, Bill, and we're going to go across the Atlantic Ocean to Irving in Scotland. Uh, he's a Scottish <laughs> bloke, is he? <laughs> <laughs> he? Might even have a kilt on. I don't know about the kilt, but I'm sure he's putting down a couple of pints of ale. <laughs> Or some scotch. 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 Peaty scotch. All right. So Irving writes, you may want to look into the stories coming from these parts relative to fairies. I know it sounds fantastic, but there just may be something to it. Wish I could see a Bigfoot, but no such luck. Uh Best, Irving. Oh, listen, Irving, I don't uh, make it a habit of hanging out with any fairies. (laughs) <laughs> I don't, you know, Bill, it could be like the trolls in our ancestral land of Norway, yeah. you know, a yeah. lot of talk of these uh, creepy little guardians of the forest. Maybe they got uh, something like that up in Scotland. Yeah, and uh, trolls are nasty business. Uh, you know, a lot of people claim they've seen these uh, fairies or what they're calling fairies uh, throughout the millennia, you know. Uh, who knows, you know, these little things twinkling in and out. Uh, it's it's this weird stuff goes on that nobody has an explanation for. No, and it's not, I mean, they, I don't know why, Bill, but certainly trolls are creepy. But I think like these fairies of the forest are pretty creepy, too. Like 
They're kind of demonic to me. Yeah, well, but you have no explanation for it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, here's the way I base a lot of this stuff. Is there fear involved? You know, do people get afraid uh, when they see or experience certain things? Fear is always an indication that something is wrong. Right. Uh, it, it all harkens back to that. Uh, or my saying that, you know, when you get that gut feeling that something's not right. Oh, yeah. You know, time to. It's not right. Get out of there. Yeah, that's right. The time to move is when you get the feeling. and Take the safety off. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Break out the MAC-10 and start spraying. <laughs> Take the safety off. <laughs> Uh-oh, bug spray. <laughs> All right, we got our last letter tonight, Bill. Some good mail. So this comes from Penny in Cooperstown, New York. So home of the Baseball Hall of Fame, which, by the way, I'm ready for some baseball in this COVID-19 era. You know, you and me both. And I've been watching uh, my favorite soccer team, Barcelona, uh, and they've been playing in front of virtual fans. Oh, uh, yeah? They even have some piped-in cheering from old games, I guess. Okay, okay. I mean, I'm enjoying it. Uh, you know, it, it's realistic, and they're playing for the money. I mean, these guys aren't just dancing around out there. They're playing. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I watched the uh, NASCAR races last weekend in Pocono, New York, and it was pretty wild. I mean, there's no one in the stands. And when they did the post-race interview, you know, the drivers were like, yeah, this is kind of weird. Like, there's no one here. Usually, there's, I guess, you know, a quarter of a million people watching. Yeah, well, it is weird, but they're getting paid, so put your... F- oh, no, it's good. They're not yeah, complaining. put your foot to the floor and shut up. <laughs> and by the way, Bill, this weekend we got Formula One for the first no time. No way! Yeah. I didn't even hear about that. Tell me. Yeah, Austrian, Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, I think they're going to run two races in Austria, one this weekend and one the following weekend. So they're trying to stay in this one venue thing? No, and they're going to go to Silverstone and a couple others, but they're only doing like, I want to say, four or five venues. I am so glad you told me that because yes. I was saying to myself, well, I guess F1's a total wash this year. No, set the DVR. This weekend? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. that's awesome, man. I love F1. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back to Bigfoot. Right, what cool. else we got here? So Penny in Cooperstown, New York. Sorry, Penny. We got on to sports and uh, COVID <laughs> and baseball. Oh, that's how we got there because she's from that's Cooperstown, right. New Hall York. The Hall of Fame. Baseball Hall of Fame. I was like, how did I get there? <laughs> <laughs> she writes, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I had no idea there were Bigfoot in New York until my friend Paul said... One was stalking him while he was hunting deer last fall. Wow. His description fit that of most of your accounts, and he is no BS artist by any means. Thanks for all you do, Penny. Wow. Well, Penny, obviously, if you're listening, and I hope you are, we need to talk to Paul. Exactly. We need Paul to, like, send a note in and... We'll pick up the phone and chat. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and here you go. Penny Penny listens to us. Penny says, hey, sounds a lot like what Paul was talking about. I didn't know Bigfoot were in New York, <laughs> exactly. and Paul saw one. 
you know. Exactly. And Paul, don't, you know, or Penny, tell Paul he can be anonymous, right? We're not going to say who he is. Uh, we just want to hear some more details. Yeah, that's all. Wow, that's incredible. Well, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of accounts of uh, Bigfoot in New York, Penny. And, uh, you know, I know everybody thinks it's all the Pacific Northwest, but uh, the uh, Northeast is is rife with Bigfoot encounters. Oh, yeah. And the Whitehall sighting is one of my right favorites. Right there. There you go. I don't near you. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. Cool. Yeah. All right, Bill. So great letters, great accounts. I loved your account. Uh, we learned about the black demon of the depths of the ocean. Hopefully I don't see it. Tonight I'm going to go out for a night walk on the beach. Uh, if, Meg, you're out there, stay out in the deep water. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and for all of you listeners, thanks so much for listening to us. And uh, a special thanks goes out to all of you that have left us five-star reviews. And if you haven't left us a five-star review, or if you want to leave us another one, please do, because all of your five-star reviews attract more listeners to the program. And as we get more listeners, we can continue to improve the quality of the program. Yeah, awesome. You know, and I really, Kev, I'll tell you what, I really hope they get some sighting of this uh, megalodon. I'd yeah. love to see that thing get caught on film, breaching the water, something some type of witness account of uh, no the doubt. body coming out of the surface. Ch you know, like they show these great whites launching at the seal on those camera shots. Oh, yeah. And that, by the way, like there's an example, Bill, that's relatively recent that we started to see that. Right. I want to say like 10 right. years. Well, and one one guy saw it happen. And then said, you know, these things breached the surface. I saw them off of such and such an island doing it. They were like, really? Yeah, off South right. Africa. The first and then one, uh, so, get yeah. the camera crew out there, get the boats, start stalking out, uh, staking out the area. Yeah, they started towing those uh, seal sure. targets. Right? If, if it wasn't yeah. for those guys doing their due diligence, we still would not know they were doing that. No, exactly. So it was all based on one guy reporting that it happened, maybe backed up by a second witness, and that brought the interest to like, well, why don't we go check it out and see what happens? Yep. Super yeah. cool. And people, once again, may I remind you, don't be stupid like these guys hiking up the Mount Rose Trail, throwing ski poles at Bigfoot. <laughs> Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.